0: The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at ShadesValley.org.
1: If you'll join me in reading today's scripture passage, it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through verse 1 of chapter 4. Brothers, join in imitating me the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. Shades, this uh, this is a very personal message for me this morning. my uh, My heart has been so heavy for you this week. I, I've I've heard many amazing stories of of the ways you are loving and serving one another, and that's been incredible. But I've I've also heard of the difficulties that so many of you are facing and and going through. And in the the midst of times like these, I long, my heart longs so much to be with you all, to encourage you, and to encourage your, your faith. And yet the situation demands distance. I... I've been burdened for you, especially for your faith, because i don 't want your faith to be shaken by anything that is happening in these days i I want you to be empowered to press on that 's what we 've been talking about throughout the entire Lenten season, right pressing on towards full and final joy in Jesus. Is is all around your soul gives way, I, I want Christ to be all of your hope and stay. I want Him to be the solid rock on which you stand firm. I I want for you what Paul wants for the Philippians in chapter four and verse one. All week long, my heart has been resonating with Paul's words right here. He says, "Therefore." my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Like, do you hear Paul's love pouring out onto the page right here? It's it's pouring out because the Philippians are his family in Christ. He calls them my brothers and sisters. It's something he normally calls other Christians, but right here he emphasizes it even more. He says, my, my brothers. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. There is family in Christ. At the end of the verse, he calls them my beloved. There is family in Christ, and so they stir up his feelings in Christ. He says he loves them. He longs for them. He wants to be with them because he wants the Philippians to share his future with Christ. I know that. Because he calls them my joy and crown. The Philippians are Paul's joy. We talked about that when we were back at the very beginning of chapter 2. and verse 2. Where he he tells the Philippians that they can complete his joy. Fill it up to the max if they will find their joy in Jesus. Them finding their joy in Jesus, Paul says, makes his joy even greater. They are his joy joy and then later in chapter 2 in verses 16 to 17 we saw him say that he is ready to give his very life to lay down his life and die if it means that the philippians will hold fast to joy in jesus all the way to the end he says right there in two sixteen and 17 that that will mean he did not run his race in vain no he will get to the end of that race and the philippians will be like a victor's crown placed upon his head stephanos it's the Greek word, not diadem. Diadem is a Greek word for a crown like a king wears. Stephanos describes a, a wreath of leaves given to a runner who wins a race. When Paul calls the Philippians his joy and crown, he's not merely describing how he feels about them in the present. He's declaring His longing for their future. That they will stand firm in their faith. That they will finish the race with full, forever joy in Jesus. That will complete His joy. That will make them His crown. He wants them to stand firm. That's what He says in 4 verse 1, right? Stand firm thus in the Lord. This is what Paul wants for the Philippians, and this is what I want for you shades. this is the, the, the longing of my heart because you you shades are my joy and my crown i I've taken Paul's words right here from this passage many times throughout our years together and called you my joy and crown, but never have I felt the reality of what that means more than I have this past week you. You're my joy. I want you to make it to the end, holding on to joy in Jesus. Nothing would complete my joy in Jesus more. I I know what the Apostle John meant when he wrote in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Shades, I've got no greater joy than that. You are my joy and you are my crown i want you to hold fast to joy in jesus so that in the day of christ when we reach the end i may be proud that i did not run in vain no i ran and received the crown you you are my joy and my crown shades i want us to share that future with christ because you stir up my feelings in Christ. I love you and I long for you. Not being together is killing me. I feel the full force of Philippians 1 and verse 8. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you and I long for you because you are my family in Christ. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. You are my brothers. Beloved, and because of all of this, because I want us to share a future in Christ, you stir up my feelings in Christ because we're family in Christ. Because, because of all of this, I have the same burden for you that Paul has for the Philippians. My heart is heavy that you stand firm thus in the Lord. What, why is this the burden of my heart? Why was this the burden of Paul's heart? That's what he unpacks for us in Philippians 3, verses 17 to 21. And he doesn't just tell us why he is burdened for the Philippians to stand firm. He also tells them how they are going to be able to stand firm. He's he's repeating a lot of the themes that we've already gone through in this book, but he's fleshing them out more and showing us more and more truth of what this looks like. So let's, let's see this together. Why this is Paul and mine's burden and, and, and how you can stand firm in the midst of these days. Begin reading with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Why is Paul burdened that the Philippians stand firm, that they press on towards joy in Jesus? Because there are many people who do not there are many who aren't pressing on there are many who have not stood firm that's what he says look at verse 18 again for many of whom i've often told you and now tell you with tears walk walk it's a uh, peripatetos the greek word it means your way of life your pattern of living they they walk as enemies of the cross of christ paul's burden concerns these people We're not 100% sure exactly who these people are that Paul is talking about, but it sure seems like that at one point they were a part of the Philippian church. It sure seems like at one point they professed to have faith in Jesus, but they have left the faith, just like those described in 1 John 2, 19, where it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. These are people who once professed faith but did not have a real and authentic faith. They have left it. They once appeared to embrace the cross, but now Paul says they walk or they live as enemies of the cross. And he weeps his first response i tell you even with tears or more literally i say weeping it means he's weeping while he writes it like kind of makes you wonder if the philippians could could see smudges from his tears on the very pages of the letter that they were reading he weeps over the fact that these professing believers did not stand firm and he weeps that the Philippians might be tempted to do the same. He is burdened that they might set their eyes on people who do not press on and they might follow in their footsteps. I know that's his burden because if you go back to verse 17, he encourages them to set their eyes on a different kind of people, on people who do stand firm, on people who do press on. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about that in a second. He wants them to do that because he's concerned, he's burdened that they might set their eyes on people. Set their eyes, set their mind, their focus in order to follow. He's concerned they might set their eyes on people who do not press on and follow in their footsteps. When, uh, when I was learning how to drive a motorcycle, it, uh, it took a minute to learn how to turn correctly at higher speeds. It's it's counterintuitive. You know this if you've ever driven a bike because it it almost feels like you're turning the handlebars in the wrong direction. If you want to go left, this is my left, if you want to go left, it almost feels like you're turning the handlebars to the the right. While I was going through that process, I, I had a friend who gave me the simplest, most intuitive and helpful tip. He said, Jonathan, just look where you want to go. If you want to go left, look left. Look where you want to go. Set your eyes on your destination and the rest will follow. I don't know exactly how, but it worked. Paul knows that this works in life too. We look where we want to go. And wherever we set our eyes, our lives naturally follow. And he's burdened that the Philippians might set their eyes on those who walk as enemies of the cross, on those who have not stood firm. And Shades, I have this burden for you. I have this burden for you because over the past year, there have been a number of celebrity Christian leaders who have very publicly not stood firm, not pressed on, very publicly left the faith. Not only that, but many of them ridicule the faith that they once held. Paul doesn't mince words. They are enemies of the cross. And this should make us weep. This should be our first response. Anytime someone leaves the faith, Anytime someone leaves the faith and hurls insults at the church, our response should not be to hurl insults back, but to weep. Shades, my first response to all of this is to weep. But my second response also lines up with Paul's second response. I weep, but then I warn. Don't set your eyes on these people who have left and not stood firm don't make them your model don't let them mark out the path for you to follow this is this is one of the dangers of celebrity christian culture we we set our eyes on these people that we don't even really know and we end up building our faith upon them so that when they fall so does our faith when they leave jesus we find out who we're really following them or jesus shades don't set your eyes on people who don't stand firm, celebrity or otherwise i mean we can quit talking about celebrities for a moment we all know people personally who who used to claim to believe in christ who now mock or deride the the faith that's that's not new none of this is new i mean Paul is addressing it right here. Paul faced this as well. And he didn't just face it with this generic group in Philippi. He faced it on a very personal level. Go read 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10 where he speaks of a close friend of his named Demas. Demas, who he names in several of his letters as being a co-worker in the Gospel. And in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. This is not new. Paul knew people who claimed to cling to Christ who no longer do. And I am burdened, this burden, Paul, and I'm burdened like Paul, that we are in a moment where you will be particularly, particularly tempted to set your eyes on these people and to listen to their voices. I think Paul had this burden because of the moment the Philippians found themselves in. The Philippian church, we've said this many times, they were experiencing opposition from outside the church. They were experiencing affliction within it. In other words, they were going through a time of suffering. And I think he was burdened that such suffering might cause them to set their eyes on those who'd left the faith. And suffering might make them listen to those voices that were saying, Jesus isn't really all that great. See how you're suffering shades i'm burdened that in this moment when some of you are losing your jobs and your income in this moment when when some of you are struggling with with mental health because of isolation i'm burdened in this moment when things look and feel so uncertain when when you are surrounded by health concerns and by panic i am burdened that you might set your eyes on people in your life who would say see jesus isn't all that great where's jesus right now Why isn't he preventing this from happening? Why would he let you lose your job? Why would he let you lose your health? Why would he let you lose family members? Where is your Christ and all that his cross supposedly achieved? I, I am burdened, along with Paul, that you would set your eyes on people who do not stand firm. Shades, there is only one place that path ends. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. That's it. It leads nowhere else. It can't. There's no no other place for it to lead. If you turn away from the God who is life in and of Himself, who gave life, who sustains life, who saves you to give you eternal life, you turn away from Him, there's nowhere else to go but towards death. Nowhere else to go but towards destruction. To separate yourself from Him now and forever leads nowhere else. Their end is destruction. This is the direction in which Paul says they are walking. They walk. They live as enemies of the cross. And that walk leads to destruction. Why would anyone walk in the direction of destruction? Paul explains precisely why they do it. Keep reading in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God, why is their end destruction? Because their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. In other words, these people walk away from Christ in favor of a different God. Paul says their belly. It's, it's a metaphor, their, their own appetites. Their own desires. Whatever it is, you know, food fills up the stomach and satisfi- satisfies it, they are leaving Christ for whatever it is they think will satisfy the very hunger of their soul. They leave him to go after whatever they they think in this world can bring them joy. That's what Paul goes on to say. Their God is their belly, and so what do they do? They set their mind on earthly things that they think will satisfy. Money, sex, relationships career work kids family whatever it is fill in the blank none of these things are bad in and of themselves they're all good and great gifts from god to be enjoyed in right relation to god but they become deadly and dangerous and damning when we make them an end in and of themselves none of these things serve as a good replacement for god as if our joy and satisfaction could be found in them these people are leaving turning aside because they have different desires appetites that they think can be satisfied by earthly things jesus spoke about people like this in matthew chapter 13 verse 7 remember he told a parable about a sower and some seeds and he spoke about some seeds that fell among thorny soil sprouted Looked like these people were christians believers like they'd received the seed the word of the gospel thorns choked it out which Jesus says are the cares and concerns and desires of this world this is what happened to Demas right that we mentioned just a minute ago Demas in love with this present world deserted Paul these people they set their minds set their eyes on earthly things Because, Paul tells us, they're under the illusion that they will find joy in the glory of all these things. But that glory, he says, will turn out to be their shame. They glory in their shame. Why are these people walking towards destruction? Towards shame? Because right now, To them, it looks like glory. It looks like the thing that will satisfy their God, their belly, the hunger of their soul. It doesn't look like destruction right now. It doesn't look like perishing right now. It looks like a prize. Career, success, money, relationships, family, sex, whatever, it looks like a prize. They have set their eyes to them from their perspective on a prize. And Paul is burdened. That if the Philippians set their eyes on these people, they will be tempted to set their eyes on the things that these people prize. Earthly things that can never truly satisfy. Indeed, their end is destruction. But the present distorts them to make them look like a prize. It's, it's like a mouse mousetrap. My, uh, my brother... He's currently trying to catch a mouse in his house. He's failing miserably at it. And it is giving me much joy. It's quite humorous. It's frustrating him. But he's set in one of those mouse traps, you know, the kind that you put peanut butter on. A, a mouse trap is designed to distort the present reality and make it look like a prize. And a mouse is God? is his belly. And he sees peanut butter on that trap like gobs of glory. But it will turn out to be his shame and it will end in destruction. Paul says, Philippi, don't fall for the trap. Shades, don't, don't fall for the trap. In, in this moment, don't buy the lie that Jesus doesn't satisfy. Something else does. Don't set your eyes on some other prize. No, let this moment, this pandemic that we're in the midst of, let this moment reveal to you the reality that all other prizes will perish. Career, job, family relationships, money, the stock market, it can all be gone in a second. All other prizes will perish. This is why Paul was burdened for the Philippians to stand firm. And this is why I am burdened for you, Shades. I am burdened amidst this moment that you will be tempted to set your eyes on people who have not stood firm, people who would want you to set your eyes on some prize other than Christ, when in reality there is no other prize. Christ is the prize I want you to see that I want you to cling to that stand firm in that yes amidst a pandemic when all around your soul gives way I want Christ to be your hope and stay the solid rock your prize so the question is how how are you going to stand firm upon Christ? The solid rock how are you going to press on towards christ the prize paul answers by telling us to take our eyes off of two things these people who don't stand firm the prize of earthly things take our eyes off that and to set our eyes on two things people and a prize The very things that could tempt us from standing firm are the very means by which we can stand firm. He's going to tell us to look at a different people, a particular people, a different prize, a particular prize. I mean, We we all naturally live looking at people and a prize. We set our eyes on people that we want to be like, on, on people achieving what we want to achieve, getting the prize that we want. We look where we want to go, right? So Paul tells us where to set our eyes on a particular kind of people and on a particular prize. First, he tells us to set our eyes on people who do stand firm. Set your eyes on people who do stand firm. Look back up at the very first verse of our passage. This is how he opened our passage. Look at verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes, your gaze, set it. Keep your eyes on those who walk, who live, who this is the pattern of their life. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Not on those who walk as enemies of the cross, but on those who have embraced the cross. This is where Paul starts. Set your eyes. On people who stand firm. Because there are those who do not stand firm. And they're going to want to point you to a different prize. And he will end by telling us the prize to which we should be pointed. That's the logic of this passage. Set your eyes on these kind of people. Because you're going to be tempted by these who will point to this prize. But this is your ultimate prize. That's the flow. And he begins here. Set your eyes on people who stand firm. And Paul gets really specific about what he means. Who are these people First, he points to himself. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Now, some may want to accuse Paul of lacking just a little bit of humility here, but we know better. We've we've seen this man's life. He lives to point people to the surpassing worth of Christ. He gives his life away for that. He, his entire life's goal is to point the church towards the surpassing worth of Christ. Now, he's not perfect. He's honest about that. We just spent a couple of weeks talking about how he's honest about that. He also has to press on towards joy in Jesus. And that is the precise pattern of his life. This is how he walks. This is his life's pattern, pressing on towards joy in Jesus. And he says, Imitate that, Philippi. This. This is not a call to copy everything that Paul does. It's a call to follow him as he follows Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1 makes that abundantly explicit where Paul says something very similar to this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is a call to follow Paul towards joy in Jesus. And he doesn't just call us to follow just him. Now Paul goes on to say, look back at the verse, he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul doesn't just say, look at me. He says, no, look also at those who are in your midst. Philippi, look at those within your own church who are pressing on towards joy in the Lord. Look at those who amidst the very opposition that you are facing, amidst the very affliction that you are facing, amidst all of that suffering, look at those in your midst who are clinging to Christ. Sit with them. He, hear their stories. See their example. Look, learn of the reality of Christ through their life. Keep your eyes on those people, he literally says. Chage, you can't do this with Christian celebrities. You can't sit with them, hear their stories, see the example of their life. You, you can't do this with your favorite podcast preacher or your favorite author i am not against you learning from podcast or from books i am very thankful for them i learned from them myself but shades nothing can replace the embodied reality of the church nothing no book no podcast no live stream i we don't love doing this you may be having a great time in your pajamas with your cup of coffee on your couch, all right? But that's not what this thing is about. There's a reason we don't live stream week after week, and there's a reason we will quit doing this. Because nothing can embrace, can, can replace the embodied reality of the church. Even though, I know I've got family who are watching, who are out of state, and friends and things like that. I know that some of you have expressed you wish that we would do this from now on. We won't. Why? Because I want you to experience the embodied reality of the church right where you are. Nothing can replace that. Nothing can replace having flesh and blood people in your life who know the surpassing worth of Christ. Keep your eyes on those people. Sit with them, shades. Hear their stories. I mean, sit with them at six foot of distance. Proper social distancing. But... Sit with them. Hear their stories. See their example. Learn of the reality of Christ through their life. I'm not telling you to look for people who are perfect. No one is. Not even Paul. Look for people whose pattern of life is a pursuit of Jesus. A pressing on towards joy in Jesus. A standing firm. Look for people who walk this way. Live this way. When a When I want to know how you keep joy in Jesus through the death of a spouse. I set my eyes on Sharon Ponder. I set my eyes on Virginia Crittenden, on Sally Levine. When when I want to know how to stand firm in Jesus through the hard days of marriage and parenting, I call up Grace and A.J. Wonski And I say, help. I go and I sit and I talk with Jeff and Park Stalkup and ask for their advice and have them pray over me and my wife. When, When I'm left wondering, how can I face a health crisis and even stare down death and still hold fast to join Jesus? I want to sit at the feet of Lisa and Matt Theus. I want to recall every conversation I had with Richard Crittenden as he glorified Jesus by having joy in him every step on the way to his death. When I need to know how to stand firm through lifelong ministry, I call up my father and my mother. I call Dr. Robert Smith Jr. I go and I sit with Ed and Pam Kaler. I set my eyes on people who stand firm. They are all around you, Shades, in ways that you cannot get from a podcast or a bookstore. Set your eyes on people who stand firm because they will point you to who they pride. That's, that's the second thing, second place Paul tells us to set our eyes. Set our eyes not just on people who stand firm, but set them on the prize we are standing firm for. Set your eyes on the prize. Look at verses 20 and 21. This is right after he's told us what, what the enemies of the cross set their eyes on, earthly things. It's literally how verse 19 ends. They set it on earthly things. And then he starts on verse 20. But we do something different. We set our eyes on a different prize. But, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The enemies of the cross had left the Philippian church for the prizes of this life,
1: earthly things. There were many
0: prizes of this life to be had in Philippi. We've talked about this before. Philippi was a Roman colony that had all sorts of special privileges. The inhabitants were official Roman citizens. They wore Roman dress. They spoke Latin. The, the city itself was architecturally laid out to, to mimic Rome. It was like a little Rome on Grecian soil. Like even though it was in Greece, Philippi was governed as if it were on Italian soil. And as the Philippian church experienced opposition from their fellow citizens and began to lose the privileges of their citizenship, many began to decide that Jesus wasn't worth it. They set their mind back on the prizes of Roman citizenship on earthly things but paul says our citizenship with its prize is in heaven in other words don't let the present distort the reality of the prize shades don't don't let the present state of things cause you to think that jesus is not the ultimate prize the present distorts the prize It it does that for the enemies of the cross. We talked about that, remember, with the mousetrap? It it distorts what they think is a, a prize. The present distorts things that actually lead to destruction and makes enemies of the cross think they are actually the prize of life. It makes shame look like glory. The present distorts the prize. It doesn't just do that for the enemies of the cross. It does that for those who embrace the cross. The present distorts the gospel that leads to life. It makes it look like foolishness. It makes the gospel look like weakness. you, You serve a God who took on flesh, died in your place for your sin to reconcile you to Him, rose again from the dead. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. It looks like foolishness. Like weakness. You serve a God who died, who bled, God is this. The gospel looks like shameful loss, but shades. It is glorious gain. It's not foolishness. It's the wisdom of God. It's not weakness. It's the power of God. It's not shameful loss. It's glorious gain. The present distorts the prime. But Shades, no matter how the present makes things look right now, Paul says, here's the reality that's being distorted by the present. Here's what's actually true. Our citizenship is in heaven right now. Right now, at this moment. I mean, Philippi might have been on Grecian soil, but it was governed as if it was on Italian soil. And our feet might be on the soil of this earth, but we are governed as if God, as if we were already standing on the soil of glory with God. We're citizens of that kingdom right now. We talked about this back in Philippians chapter 1 in verse 27 where we were told to live lives worthy of the gospel or a more literal translation is live as citizens, worthy citizens of the gospel. Live your life even though you're on earthly soil. As though you were standing on the soil of glory right now. Live as a citizen that belongs to a different kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven, no matter what the present reality makes things look like. It is in heaven, and that guarantees our greatest prize, Christ. Listen to verse 20 again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior were two of the most popular titles in all the Roman world for Caesar. Everybody in Philippi called Caesar Lord and Savior. He ruled over those citizens. But for citizens of heaven, we are ruled over by one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our prize and He is coming to be our joy forever. That's what verse 20 promises. We await. He's coming. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body christ will come and just like just like when he came the first time which we read about it was described back in philippians chapter 2 do you remember that when he came the first time he humbled himself by taking on flesh he died he rose again in a glorious resurrection body when he comes again he's going to do something very similar He's going to take our lowly body. Same word in Greek used here to describe our lowly body as to describe Him humbling Himself and taking on flesh. And Just like He humbled Himself and took on flesh in death and rose to resurrection glory, He's going to take our lowly body and transform it to be like His glorious resurrection body. It's the same movement of Philippians 2, but this time, not just Christ. It's applied to us. He will fit us to enjoy Him forever. He, he will make it possible for this body to experience full, forever joy in Him. Not only that, not only will He fit us to enjoy Him forever, but He will fit the world to be a place of enjoyment forever. Verse 21 says, He will transform our bodies by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. He's going to transform our bodies and that's not the only thing. He's going to subject all things to himself. He will return and rule over all. Viruses gone. Bodies susceptible to viruses transformed to experience full joy forever in his presence. Shades Valley. Citizens of heaven. Set your eyes on this prize. I know that the present reality makes it hard to see. Just like the Friday of Jesus' crucifixion made it nearly impossible to believe that Sunday's resurrection was coming. It's the same thing. We live in a Friday of crucifixion right now. And I know it's nearly impossible to believe that a resurrection for all of us is coming. Paul says that. He says that right here in Philippians 3 that we live right now with our lives being conformed to the cross, to the crucifixion of Christ. We live in a crucifixion type world. He says that in verse 10 that we live becoming like Christ in his death. Like, it's the Greek word sumorphos. Remember the word morph in there, transform, conform. Sumorphos, same form. We live right now with our lives taking on the same form as Christ's death. We live in a world where we are experiencing crucifixion type suffering, but shades. The day is coming, declares verse 21, when Christ will make us like sumorphos, same word, He will make us like Him in His resurrection, in His glorious body. We live right now being made like Him in His crucifixion and His death. But the day is coming when He will return and we will be made like Him in His resurrection. Shades, set your eyes on this prize. We get Christ forever. Jesus will be our full and forever joy. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus. Like this. Setting your eyes on people who stand firm. Setting your eyes on the prize they point you to. Christ, full joy in Him forever. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is how you stand firm. Shades. You are my family in Christ, my brothers and sisters. And this week, my feelings in Christ have been stirred for you. I, I love you and I long for you. And I want nothing more than to share our future with Christ. For you, Shades Valley Community Church, are my joy and my crown. Set your eyes on people who point you to the prize of Christ. Stay